Hi, I'm Kira Davis, host of Just Listen to Yourself. Do you love hot chocolate, fake snow, and cheesy Hallmark movies? Then you're going to love the latest podcast from FCB Radio, A Very Merry Podcast. Join me and co-host Amelia Hamilton, Hallmark Superfans, as we break down the best and the worst, but mostly the best, of the Hallmark Christmas universe all season long. Will our protagonists fall in love and discover the true meaning of Christmas? There's only one way to find out. Come celebrate the happiest place on TV with a very merry podcast every week through New Year's. And don't forget the mistletoe. They freed us all from tyranny. We stand everything for liberty. And they fought so we would be America, land of the Hi, Patriots. Welcome back to the Growing Patriot Podcast. I'm your host, Amelia Hamilton. While all of this craziness is going on in the American Revolution, what were kids up to? In this episode, we're going to talk about kids during the American Revolution and one very special kid in particular who grew up to be a very special adult. First, here are two of my friends with questions. My name is Adrian. Um, my name is Reagan and... I want to ask some questions about the Revolutionary War. Did kids get hurt? Did kids just like open, like maybe like take a sneak peek or like watch a little? Did anyone like cheer for like them? Was it like the Americans? Did people run because they don't want to get hurt? Did they get scared? Did did some kids stay at home? Get ready because we're about to hear the answers to all of those questions and hear about one very special kid during the American Revolution. Hi. Uh, I'm Erin Adams. I am the Director of Education here at Andrew Jackson's Hermitage in Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, so a little bit about my work here and a little bit about how I spend my day. Um, we are responsible for conducting all of the field trips uh, that students come on kindergarten through 12th grade. Um, we also produce um, materials for them to use both on site and off. And we um, are also responsible for um, keeping abreast of changes in education policy, um, making sure that what we are presenting is aligning with teacher standards. So not only do we support students, we support a lot of teachers as well. Um, so we try to make sure that the teachers have as much uh, correct information as we can put in their hands. And we try, we try to be a partner uh, in that way because the teacher has so many demands on her time that we are able to um, sometimes distill a lot of the standards and requirements. Uh, and then of course we come from the background of having, being the expertise right on Andrew Jackson. So so um, we're constantly working with teachers to help create curriculum and activities that could be used uh, in the classroom, out of the classroom, here on site. Um, so we have a lot of fun uh, developing lots of stories and activities and, uh, and games and, and all the rest of it. So it's a fun job for sure. Yeah, absolutely. I love, I love spending time in history and working in a historic house like that must just be so much fun. <laughs> It is. It's it's a job like anything else. It's got its better days and its worst days. But what's 
fun about a historic site like the Hermitage is that it's never boring. <laughs> so it's yes. never boring. It's a great job for somebody who is very curious, somebody who likes stories, somebody who's really interested in seeing how things connect over time uh, and how, how we use the past to help inform our decisions about the present and the future. Absolutely. So talking about those stories, in a minute, I definitely want to talk about what Andrew Jackson himself did when he was a kid during the revolution. But first, I just want to get kind of a feeling for what kids did in general. Um, you know, we're, I know that there were kids who served in the war, where there's in the Revolutionary War, where there's some kids who, you know, stayed home and helped their families and, and went to school. It's true. Um, so children, um, the idea of children having separate spheres of work, if you will, than, than an adult is a very... Um, is very much an idea that we have today, right? Like adults do a certain type of work. They have certain responsibilities. Kids do not have those same responsibilities and work as adults. And then they grow into what we expect out of adults. Uh, but in, in the 18th century and in Andrew Jackson's time, kids were expected to do things that to us would just not make sense uh, in the 21st century. So kids of Andrew Jackson's time would have expect would have been expected to do a lot of hard physical labor. Um, they were certainly responsible for caring for animals, for helping uh, with plowing, land clearing. If they were farmers, if they lived in cities, they would have had responsibilities uh, in a business, um, delivering products, collecting money, uh, helping to load and unload ships. Children served in the Navy. Um, and that was a practice long before children were even allowed to serve in the army. Um, so that so kids had the same kinds of, of um, roles in many ways that adults had. Uh, and so a child also had they, they would not have had things like um, voting rights. Obviously, that would not have been given to a kid. Uh, but they had a lot of the same standing before a court of law that an adult would have. Uh, and that a kid would be um, a kid would be expected to like if a kid was in front of the law, if they had committed a crime, if they had stolen something, if they had run away from their uh, their apprentice master or uh, if they were in escaped slaves, like they would have had they would have faced a legal process just like adults would face. So there there's there's not nearly as many distinctions between children and adults in Jackson's time as we think about today being appropriate between children and adults. Mm -hmm. What about school? Did kids go to school? Absolutely. Um, education was always uh, a critical part of a child's upbringing. Now, that's not to say that every child went to school because there were no, there were usually not laws to direct that the way there are today, right? If a kid doesn't go to school and if they're not homeschooled and can't, their parents can't demonstrate that they are being educated in some way, you know, there's laws against that uh, and ways in which adults can get in trouble for neglecting children's education. Not the case in Andrew Jackson's time. So uh, it was really just up to the beliefs of the parents, the beliefs of the community about how important they thought education was. And so, yes, kids went to school, but very few kids uh, went all the way through school the way we think today. Um, a kid today right, starts about the age of five or so and goes right on up till the age of 18, till they finish high school. And then college is up to them and, you know, further study is up to them. But they have to go when they're a kid. Um, but in Andrew Jackson's time, most kids uh, 
would have had a few years of education cumulatively, and it wouldn't have happened the same pattern of the year. Um, so they would have gotten a little bit of education here and there as, as the work of the farms they lived on or the businesses that their parents ran allowed them to go to school. And so some of the things that they would have learned um, would also look very different to us today. They certainly would have learned math, reading, language arts, science, things that we learn today. Uh, but when you look at children's um, school books of the time, there's also a real difference in what they were expected to learn. They would have been expected to learn things like Latin and Greek. They would have been able to do geometry uh, according to the ancient Greek uh, philosophers who developed these systems of geometry. Um, they, so they were expected to do a lot of really high-level schoolwork um, that often we think is should be more for older students, right? like middle schoolers, high schoolers, but even at young ages, they would have been expected to embrace um, some pretty strict curriculum. Now, of course, they were always at the mercy, just as our kids are today, of better teachers and worse teachers. Yep. And sometimes teachers across the frontier could be a little uh, less than skilled, shall we say, uh, as as teaching uh, professionals. But, but by and large, education was considered a hallmark of an advancing society. If you, if you have people who are not being educated, how can you count on them to be fully participating citizens? in the nation. And so that that is very much what is driving um, kids to be educated at this time. Okay, great. So, okay, we have kids who are going off to the revolution. What what kind of a role would they have? Would they have, would they have seen any battles? Would, um, you know, I know we see sometimes in paintings, kids with fifes and drums. Um, I know one of the questions our kids had were, was that sort of a way of cheering on your your military? How, how did it work? What did they do? Sure. So children are participating in the Revolutionary War in many different capacities, many different. And if we count a child as somebody, let's say, between the age of five and 16, let's just kind of define childhood that way. So if you think about being the ages of five to 16 years old, um, within that setting, uh, they could be messengers and couriers. They could fetch and carry. That's what a courier does, right? It's fetching and carry. So they could be fetching and carrying supplies, messages, information. Um, they also, um, the fife and drum question, I love that. Yes, you see a lot in paintings and that is, that is very much the case. Um, children were serving in that capacity. Children all the way up to the American Civil War are serving in that capacity. Uh, and they could be kids as young as seven, eight, years old. And so it is a way of cheering people on. Uh, the idea of the time was that if you send people off to war um, by having drums and fifes to play music, that it adds um, that it adds kind of a sense of celebration in some ways. It's a way of getting people's spirits built up. It's a way of encouraging people um, to go forward and, and do their best, right? And, and try to achieve those um, really extraordinary feats on the battlefield, right? That make soldiers famous. Um, so yes, and in fact, the most popular music in the United States uh, and in Great Britain during this time is military style music. So you could buy music books um, at stores all over the colonies. Uh, that would have fife tunes, that would have drum, you know, drum, uh, drum tunes. It's not exactly the right word, but uh, showing kids how to play drums to certain, um, to certain 
types of music. Uh, and so kids, kids would have been able to access and learn all those sorts of things. They would have had older kids who could have showed them how to do those tasks. Uh, so yeah, music is a huge part of what kids were doing in, in this time. Um, other tasks, tasks that we know Jackson was specifically doing uh, is that, so Jackson goes to the American army when he's 13 years old. This was in 1780. Um, Jackson and his older brother, Robert, were 15, 13 and 15. So they're teenagers. Um, and I often like to ask our visitors here, why would you want a 13 year old in an army, right? <laughs> like it seems in our 21st century ears, more like you got somebody you have to keep up with, right? It would you, You'd spend more time keeping up with the 13 year old than you would getting any sort of useful service out of a 13 year old. But remember, 13-year-olds were not quite as uh, young in some ways as we think of them today. And so a kid like Andrew Jackson or like his brother, Robert Jackson, I think about the area in which they're serving. So they lived in the Carolinas, um, way out on the frontier near today where Charlotte, North Carolina is. And these two boys, this is their home turf, right? So they know how to get around the area. They know where shortcuts are to be found between places. They know where food is to be found, where water, sources of water could be found. They have a decent idea of this, of how the neighbors feel, either about the British or about the American army. Um, and then also, who's paying attention to a kid, right? So why... You know, if 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 an enemy soldier is coming through and they're looking for a fight, they're looking for grown men. They're looking for grown men in uniforms who are have weapons and are clearly, you know, fighting for the opposite side. So who's looking for kids to be part of this? And so the American Army uh, was using children like like Andrew and Robert Jackson um, very much on purpose because it was a real benefit to them to do so. Yeah. When you talked about, um, you know, knowing all the, the shortcuts and working as a messenger and things like that, um, our last question we have is, how were the kids getting around? Would they have been riding horses um, on foot? How, how was all this being done? A little bit of both of it, just sort of depending on what resources they had at their disposal. So um, oftentimes uh, at this point, remember the United States is a developing nation. Like, all we've done is declare independence. There is a Congress, the Continental Congress, and their job is to try to provide financial resources and, and smooth the path of the military to acquire what it needs to fight. But there's no guarantee that any of that was going to come through. And so often, uh, as soldiers go to war, they're taking their own supplies with them. They're taking their own weapons. They're taking their own clothes, their own horses. Um, and then sometimes the army would come through and uh, do business with farmers or um, uh, uh, not ranchers, you know, like people who are raising animals um, to purchase whatever they could provide, wagons, animals, food. And so kids would have been walking quite a bit. I mean, that that absolutely would have been part of their, um, you know, we often hear stories about, uh, especially in the winter time, that they've worn their shoes out over the course of the year, right? And then they don't, they don't have supplies to replace those. So, you know, when you talk about the stories of places like Valley Forge, you know, part of the real problem was that these men did not have shoes for the winter. And so imagine your feet being out in the snow and the cold in Pennsylvania. So kids would have been expected to adapt to all of those kinds of conditions. If they had an animal, they'd use it, but otherwise they were on their feet. Sure, makes sense, makes yep. sense. 
All right. Now I want to dig into Andrew Jackson's personal stories. Um, Tell us a little bit about what he did. So Andrew Jackson, uh, to the best of our knowledge, joins the American army by the age of 13. This would have been in 1780. He had turned 13 in March of 1780. And part of the reason it seems that he did join the American army was because his oldest brother, His name was Hugh Jackson, and Hugh, uh, at the age of 18, had joined the American Army and was fighting at the Battle of Stono Ferry in 1779, which was in the Carolinas, and Hugh died of heat exhaustion as a result of the battle. Um, Andrew Jackson, at this point, only had his mother and his older brother, because he's, he's orphaned at a very young age. His father had already passed away, and now his oldest brother has passed away. And some, something about that loss really triggers Robert and Andrew Jackson to join the American Army themselves. Um, so Jackson is serving, uh, and I was looking up the name of his commanding officer, and I'm so sorry, I do not remember that off the top of my head, but I can provide it. Mm-hmm. Um, is that, you know, so Jackson joins, uh, it, it was it was Colonel Washington, not George Washington, unfortunately, mm-hmm. although I believe it's a, a distant relation of General George Washington. Uh, William Washington was his name, uh, Colonel William Washington. And so he's serving under Washington, Colonel Washington, Colonel, not George Washington. Yes. And so as he is serving under Colonel Washington, this is his first education on what military service is, what is involved, what are the goals, under what circumstances do you use a military to achieve certain goals. And so this is, to the best of our knowledge, um, the extent of Jackson's military education is just serving under William Washington. So later when uh, he's the great hero at the Battle of New Orleans in 1815, you know, he's a general at that point, but he doesn't spend a career in the army. He, he serves as a little kid and then picks it up again, you know, many years later. So Andrew um, is serving. He's serving as a messenger, a courier, as well as his brother, Robert. Um, after the Battle of Hanging Rock, though, in 1780, it was August of that year, it was a stalemate. Historians mostly agree that it was a stalemate. So really no side won, but the target, which was Hanging Rock itself, uh, was a major supply arsenal. Now, not only did it have weapons and ammunition, it also had food, it had medical supplies. And so it was very, very important to both armies to be the ones controlling Hanging Rock, uh, which is in in South Carolina. Mm -hmm. Um, It was a stalemate, ultimately, although the British, uh, I'm sorry, the Americans mostly claim it as a victory. Okay, so it was generally felt that the Americans had been the victors at the Battle of Hanging Rock and the British, instead of sort of pulling back from Hanging Rock and just fighting another day, you know, kind of giving up on that and then and then fighting again at another point, they decide to stay in the region and they're causing a lot of harassment to the population. They're trying to provoke um, civil war within the communities because there are many British supporters, but also many American supporters. And they're hunting down men who served in the American army or really anybody who had supported the American army in their victory at Hanging Rock in any substantial way. Well, of course, this includes Robert and Andrew Jackson, right? Having served as messengers uh, during this battle. And so the boys, know that this is happening and they decide to hide out in the woods 
Uh, they're laying low, kind of letting the British do what they're going to do, get out of the area and go. Well, one night, the boys are spotted by a neighbor when they're coming into a family member's home to retrieve some supplies. This neighbor, um, it was a woman, uh, and she was a British sympathizer, not an American supporter. And so she reports the two boys to the British Army. Uh -oh. When the boys, uh, when the British officer arrives to arrest the two boys, then a really a really interesting chapter of Jackson's life is about to unfold because the British officer shows up to arrest Robert and Andrew. And he gives Andrew an order during the process of this arrest. And he demands that Jackson polish his boots. Now that's kind of an unnecessary order, right? Like this is not a time for boot polishing. So I think it's like, it's like when you've got a bully, you know, who's trying to make their power felt, you know, they want to look like the big guy around. Well, Jackson refuses to do it. He tells the officer, he says, I am a prisoner and you cannot compel me to do this. So this is an example of a kid and his vocabulary at the time. Most of our kids would say, right. you can't make me do it. But Jackson was ready to say, you cannot compel me to do it. Right. Uh, and so um, the British officer gets very angry at Jackson and he goes to slash down at him with a saber. So a sword, right, with a very sharp edge. And Jackson throws his left hand up to uh, shield himself. And that officer's sword cuts down pretty deeply into his left hand. And it also sort of catches him across the forehead. Now, for your listeners, if they're looking at a picture of Andrew Jackson, you don't see that scar on Andrew Jackson's forehead. But what you do see is a lot of hair swooping down over Jackson's forehead, right? So there's a little mystery up under that hair. There's actually mm -hmm. a scar there that, that Jackson left uh, for the rest of his life, uh, had on his hand and his forehead as a result of the Revolutionary War. Well, after this arrest, the two boys are taken, they're marched to a POW camp about 40 miles away in Camden, South Carolina. So they had to walk the whole way, all 40 miles uh, to this POW camp. The boys are there for a few months. And because POW camps did not practice good hygiene, they're not feeding everybody properly. They're not making great arrangements for where you're supposed to go to the bathroom or, you know, clean and those sorts of things. Um, smallpox breaks out. So this very deadly disease that we get immunized for now, um, but it's very deadly disease. Both Andrew and Robert Jackson catch smallpox while they're at the prisoner camp. Robert Jackson dies. So at the age of 16, Robert Jackson has now died of smallpox. And Andrew Jackson, who's 14 at this point, recovers. Uh, his mother, whose name was Elizabeth Jackson, she is able to get Andrew released from the camp. But then about six months later, she goes to Charleston to nurse some soldiers on uh, British POW ships or yeah, British POW ships. And she catches cholera and dies. Oh, so good. by the age of 15, Andrew Jackson at the age of 15 has now had combat experience. He's been a prisoner of war. He's lost his entire family, all of his, his parents and both of his brothers in the course of the American Revolution. Um, and it's really one really interesting fact about Jackson it is, he, is that he is the only one of our presidents to have served time as a prisoner of war. 
Of all the 45 presidents we have had, Andrew Jackson is the single president to have spent time as a prisoner of war. We have many presidents who have been military veterans, plenty of veterans amongst our presidents, but none that uh, were prisoners in any way. Uh, but Jackson is the only one. So at this point, um, Jackson, by the age of 15, has got to make some really serious decisions about what his future is going to look like, right? Not having a family to be there and support him and help him do that. He's going to have to do it all himself. And so it's because of those early years as a, as a soldier and a prisoner that it really cements, it really brings it to his heart so closely, the fate of the United States. Because he himself, he felt like he had made so many sacrifices of his family, of his community, of, of what could have happened in the course of his life, but then that got derailed because of these experiences. And so Jackson, um, for the rest of his life, you hear it in the presidency, you hear it when he's serving in the U.S. Army at New Orleans. Um, he is so very eager to see the United States succeed and he's ready to fight if if it gets threatened in some way. So for Andrew Jackson, that is that that is the great forming experience of his life uh, when it comes to his feelings about the nation and the future of democracy. Gosh, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, and you know when you put it in that perspective, and when you think about all the things he went through, you know, it's easy to to look at a painting and see kids, you know, playing a fife and drum, or hear there are messengers, and I think it's easy to forget that this was this was dangerous still. Yes, this is extremely dangerous. Um, they're in a combat scenario, uh, and even even if they weren't even if they weren't directly in the path of of combat, of gunfire and that sort of thing, uh, disease, right? These camps, these army camps were not, uh, not even like they are today, right? Where they have made plans for sanitation and cleanliness and good food and drinking water. None of those plans are in place. So sometimes they have enough to eat. Sometimes they don't. Sometimes they have a clean place to take care of their bodies and their clothes and, you know, but not always. And so kids were experiencing all those hardships and all those risks that adult soldiers were facing too. So kids got no sort of special uh, treatment, you know, just because they were in the army. Right. And so these, these messages that he, that uh, Jackson would have been carrying with his brother, would these be from was he um, like a spy or were these messages from one part of the American army to someone else in the American army? They're most likely messages between officers, okay. right? Um, just requests to provide supplies or just to update them, you know, about troop movements and kind of what the, the status of planning for various engagements is. I, I feel like that's the most uh, practical use of them. If they were ever spies, we have no record of that, unfortunately. I like to think, though, that these are sharp kids, right? Mm -hmm. Especially Andrew Jackson, right? These are sharp, sharp kids. They're observant. And so not only, while I doubt they would have been asked to actually spy the way we think of spies working, they certainly would have been encouraged to keep their eyes and their ears open. 
Uh, any observations they made, let's say taking messages back and forth, if they saw enemy troops gathering somewhere, if they had an opportunity to uh, see like the enemy camp uh, and they were able to determine like they have so many kinds of guns, they have so many kinds of weapons, they, uh, they're running out of food, right? Like if they were able to make any sort of observations about the condition of the enemy uh, or their position, hey, they're a lot closer to us than than we thought they were, right? So really it's more about observation. So I would use the word scout more than I would use spy uh, in, in that particular case. Um, they would, uh, they were more like scouts. So any observations they made, they would be expected to share those back with the with the senior officers. And they would be listened to, uh, you know, because, because kids see things. Yeah. Um, doesn't mean they would always, you know, <laughs> and, and that's one of the benefits too. Like if a kid came, if a kid was in a similar situation today, uh, I think sometimes it might be easy for adults to dismiss kids mm -hmm. because, oh, you don't know what you're looking at. You don't understand what you saw. What could you tell me that I really need to know? Right. Like, so that's very different in Jackson's time. Right. And in his service, if Jackson showed up and said, you know, they're, they're this close to our camp. They have this, I saw this many cannons. Uh, I saw, you know, they're running out of food that would be listened to. That was necessary information for the American army. Yeah. And I bet people were more willing to maybe say things they wouldn't say in front of, in front of other grownups. If there were just kids around, they might've overheard some things too. It may be right. Because, because there's always been people who just sort of dismiss what kids are capable of. Yeah. Right. But for super sharp kids like the Jackson brothers, uh, there wouldn't have been much that they heard or observed that they didn't know what to do with, that they didn't understand the importance of, you know? Sure. And like you said, you know, people throughout history and some even today will dismiss what kids are capable of. And um, I think Andrew Jackson reminds us that kids are capable of a lot. They can, they can change the whole future. You know, Andrew Absolutely. Jackson didn't come from a, from a particularly powerful or special family, but but he did incredible things. Yes, it's very true. And that becomes uh, part of the foundational message of who Andrew Jackson is, right? Um, so later when he's running for president, you know, people, people begin to understand more about his past and that he didn't just get to the presidency because he was a some sort of slick politician or some guy who was already kind of in the inner circle of Washington, D.C., but because he had spent many years, right, just out amongst what we think of as common people, right, normal people, uh, the average citizens. He had served in the military. He'd been responsible for opening up parts of the United States for settlement. And so it, it is those Revolutionary War years that really gets Jackson started down that road in a way that he's not going to change from from the rest of his life. Yeah. Well, that is that is amazing. It's wonderful to to hear all about Andrew Jackson's experience and learn more about, about what kids were doing and how they could really make a difference then and now. Sure. Is it is it okay if I share just a couple of resources? 
uh, with you that that your your listeners might be interested in. So there's this great series of books called Childhood of Famous Americans. uh, And it's about, um, he's got all sorts of of people, a lot of presidents, a lot of famous people, but he does a great book on Andrew Jackson. So that might be interesting. And so it talks about his childhood and talks about him just in those formative years of the American Revolution. And then there is a wonderful picture, a very famous picture, and and your listeners can Google it. You can find it on the Library of Congress website. I'll share it with the episode on our website. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So it's an image by Courier and Ives, Mm -hmm. and it's called The Brave Boy of the Wax Haws. And it shows the scene of the British officer going to arrest the boys and kind of slash down with his sword. And then, you know, Jackson's shielding him himself. And then you see Robert uh, right there behind him too. So very, very famous image um, yeah. that should go with that. Yeah, I will definitely share that with the episode for, for everyone to see and a link to that book. Wonderful. Great. Thank you so much for joining us today, Erin. This was so much fun. Good. Thanks so much, Amelia. Thank you for joining me for this episode where we learned all about the cool things kids did during the American Revolution and Andrew Jackson in particular, who then went on to fight in another very important war and even become president. Be sure to visit growingpatriots.com to see those paintings and links that we talked about and other fun resources like videos and coloring pages that go along with this episode and with every episode. Be sure to check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We're at Growing Patriots on all of those. And leave us a four-star review on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcast and share this episode with a couple of friends. Thanks so much, and we'll see you next time. They freed us all from tyranny, everything for liberty. And they thought so we would be America. Distributed by FCB Radio Network. Hi, I'm Kira Davis, host of Just Listen to Yourself. Do you love hot chocolate, fake snow, and cheesy Hallmark movies? Then you're going to love the latest podcast from FCB Radio, a very merry podcast. Join me and co-host Amelia Hamilton, Hallmark superfans, as we break down the best and the worst, but mostly the best, of the Hallmark Christmas universe all season long. Will our protagonists fall in love and discover the true meaning of Christmas? There's only one way to find out. Come celebrate the happiest place on TV with a very merry podcast every week through New Year's. And don't forget the mistletoe.